Truth Espresso, Episode 63. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso. With Daniel Minnick. Hey, friends, this is Daniel Minnick, your host of Truth Espresso. Welcome to this exciting episode where we talk about democracy. Oh boy, democracy. And as I was scouring articles from Google News, I noticed that the word democracy seems to be a big buzzword today as we're heading toward the election. And no doubt the word democracy is important because isn't that what an election is? It is an exercise in democracy. And as I see the headlines, one from Politico entitled, Trump is winning the psychological war on democracy and from science magazine how democracies are now backsliding in countries from russia to the united states from new york magazine many gop voters value america's whiteness more than its democracy from the hill future of democracy is on the ballot but what about the future of americans and so, as many Americans are preparing to exercise their right to vote for the highest office in the land in a matter of months, as the climate's going to change, and 2020 has certainly showed that it's a year of lots of weird stuff, and as we've been through lockdowns, that don't really seem to be very democratic, by the way, because of this COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of politics surrounding the term democracy has come up, and no doubt, over time, over the years, the word democracy has seen its definition changed over time. And so the purpose of this episode is to ask the question, is democracy biblical? Now, I know that when we talk about the word democracy and we call the United States a democracy now, although the founding fathers, many of them, would probably not use that word to refer to the United States in its form of government that they intended to establish, let's talk about democracy in its purest form. Yes, most countries that are officially recognized as democracy are not what we would consider a pure democracy, where everything is determined by popular vote, not by proxy of popular vote, not that people vote for a person with power who could then turn around and betray them or act as um, a dictator. But what is democracy? Democracy. What is a pure democracy? Just what does the word democracy mean? And is it something that the Bible would support? Now, first of all, we're going to define just what is democracy. Then we're going to move on to answer the question, what's all the hoopla about democracy and why is democracy appealing to many people? 
And then, in this episode, last but not least, we are going to answer the question, is democracy biblical? And so, first of all, what is democracy? Well, let's examine the word democracy itself. The word democracy comes from the combination of a prefix and a suffix. The word demo means people. Now, this is not what we normally think of when we are, uh, say, working at the office and we need to present something and we call it a demo, but it is something that is related to people. And so we have kind of appropriated that word for contexts that don't remind us that it's all about people and not about a thing that's being presented to people. But nonetheless, the prefix demo means people. And then the suffix crassy or ocracy or however it works with any particular word it means rule by. And so there are two different forms. There's crassy or archy, both of which mean rule by. And so the word democracy means rule by the people. And so in other words, a democracy means that the government of the country is not by a king, a monarch, or something like that. It is by the people. And so let's compare democracy with other forms of rule by. If we look at other words that use the same ending or the ending of crassy or archy, we see first of all monarchy, which is rule by one. Monos meaning one, archy meaning rule by. And autocracy or rule by self which is usually associated with rule by one person with absolute power, no checks and balances. It is the will of the one ruler, and that's it. So, the difference between an autocracy and monarchy, as we mentioned, is that a monarchy is ruled by one, like a king, but many monarchies still have its system of laws. If you think back to the time of Daniel... The prophet Daniel with the Medes and the Persians, even though the king would sign laws, there was still the laws that would trump the king between this alliance of the Medes and Persians to prevent one of those from usurping power over the other of those nations. The two nations together, the Medes and the Persians, set up things such that the law reigned supreme even over the will of the king. And so, Although there was one king who was the highest power in human form, the strength of the law was to prevail even over the will of the king to change things on a whim. And so, if you just have one king ruling over, that's a monarchy. But if that one king has absolute authority such that everything bows to his whim, then it's an autocracy. And so we can also move on to aristocracy or rule by the elite. So say you have a bunch of wealthy people and somehow they're able to use their wealth as elites in society to influence the government in their favor. You have an aristocracy. And now a plutocracy also is ruled by the wealthy. So something can be an aristocracy and a plutocracy at the same time. 
But normally, plutocracy you think of as something negative because in mythology, Pluto or Hades was the god of the underworld. And so while there was allegedly wealth and gold in the underworld, this wealth or gold was also associated with the underworld. So a plutocracy is like rule by wealthy people from the underworld. <laughs> And now oligarchy ruled by a small group, and I would say, for example, in some ways in the United States, the Federal Reserve is our oligarchy, as they rule by setting monetary policy. And now we move to theocracy, which is rule by God. And of course, ancient Israel was a theocracy proper, whether they had a king or were ruled by the period of judges as they were nomads in the land of Canaan, they were a theocracy. God ultimately ruled even over human rulers. And now we also have mobocracy or rule by a mob. So if you think of a mafia running rampant and spreading terror and setting rules such that they control even what the police and the mayor do by their fear and really the mafia rule from the underground, that would be a mobocracy. And a mob could represent enough people who could impose their will on other people. As there is strength in numbers, when you organize a mob, you can really spread terror and submit people to your will when they're not prepared to deal with the mob. And so that's a mobocracy. And so we see that there's different governmental structures according to these terms. But we are going to deal with democracy, at least in the purest form, although we might make allusions to how democracy relates to the United States. The United States is not and has never been properly a pure democracy. But why is this concept of a democracy appealing? Well, number one reason for why democracy is indeed appealing, I admit for good reason, number one, power is allegedly not concentrated in the hands of a few or one, like an oligarchy or a monarchy or an aristocracy or a plutocracy or a mobocracy or an autarky or an autocracy. There is no king to act in his own interests against the interests of the people. And so, for example, if we look at uh, King Rehoboam in the Bible, as he had his advisors, and the young advisor sounds familiar, the young advisor wanted the king to raise taxes and be a stronger burden on the people. But the older advisors told King Rehoboam to relieve burdens from the people and relieve taxes. But Rehoboam listened to the younger advisors and he said that his little finger, his pinky, is thicker than his father's loins. 
And so a democracy appears to be a solution to that. A democracy does not concentrate the power of taxation and law in the hands of a few or one person. A democracy allegedly spreads this power to the people where every person gets their voice, their part, their votes, And with this spread of power being divided among the people, there is no king or elites that should be able to rule by their own whims. The interests of the people in a democracy are what should flourish. And so that's one reason why democracy is appealing. It is not concentrating power in the center, it's concentrating power among the whole citizenry, the populace. Number two reason for why democracy is indeed appealing. In a democracy, people are allegedly politically equal to each other. The pie of power is split equally among every eligible individual. There is no one individual or small group of elites that get to make the rules. Yes, I mentioned that in the first point, but the first point is that power is not centralized or concentrated. Number two is that power is supposedly equal across the people. Each person has equal political power as any other person, every other citizen. So everyone works together to make the rules, or so it seems. So number one, power is not centralized in the hands of the few. Number two, the power is divided among the citizenry seemingly equally. So this means that democracy, in a sense, promotes equality. And where in a monarchy, the king would definitely not be equal with the citizenry. In a democracy, the power makes everyone equal to each other. And so that is definitely an appealing reason for democracy. Number three, nothing becomes law unless a majority agrees. And so, as we examine the case of King Rehoboam, Because he wanted to increase taxes, therefore taxes were increased. But in a democracy, if you want taxes to increase, at least if we're talking about a pure democracy, that goes up to a vote for the whole of the citizenry. The nation has to come together and agree, at least a majority of the nation, to agree to raise taxes. And so everyone works together equally to make the rules. Number three point was that nothing becomes law unless a majority agrees this could work to slow down the process of laws and it keeps the laws from being in the interest of an elite class of rulers. The interests of the laws should be, in a democracy, the interests of the citizenry, not some king. And so that definitely makes democracy appealing. Number four reason why democracy is appealing. It encourages the citizens 
to be involved in their politics. So the citizens are not just there to obey laws if they are involved in creating laws and voting on laws and passing laws, then democracy not only gives them a reason to, but it also seems to encourage their duty to participate in their own politics. And so if you see this as a positive, not everyone's going to see this as a positive, but at least that's the option in a democracy that citizens can be interested in the political process. They can be knowledgeable about how laws are written and passed and laws are attached to interests and they can be involved in that. So point number four was that a democracy encourages the citizens to be involved in their own politics. And finally, number five reason for why a democracy is indeed appealing is that a democracy allows a process for change without a violent revolution or assassination or hostile takeover. And so it used to be when you had kings or an aristocracy ruling over a country that there was a certain flavor of laws that seemed to be unmovable, that would always favor certain people over the citizenry. And so the laws would seem to stay in place or compound in the direction of the elites. And that the only way to change this regime was for someone to die. Uh, Either an uprising among the citizenry to go threaten and take out and assassinate the king and install a new ruler who had a different will, or foreigners would come and take over the nation because the nation was being hostile to other nations. And so regime change was normally met with violence, but with a democracy, it should be more civilized such that that if you want change, the change is proposed as an issue on a ballot, and if enough people support that, then the change gets passed without anyone having to kill anyone else. And so, for the sake of human dignity or keeping people alive, avoiding bloodshed, that is definitely an appealing prospect of democracy. And so this seems on its face to be a positive. All these reasons would seem to indicate that a pure democracy, or as close as we can get to a pure democracy, would be an ideal form of government for a nation to embrace. A democracy is rule by the people. As President Abraham Lincoln said in his Gettysburg Address, the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And so Abraham Lincoln, even though he was the president, he seemed to suggest that the government was in some sense a democracy. And if the democracy is ruled by the people, then a democracy would be seemingly the will of the people. And what really would be closer to the will of the people than something on which at least most would agree? 
Now, by a democracy, a pure democracy, we don't mean that any change requires absolutely 100% of the population to consent to it for it to pass. We know that people are different. We know that people think differently. But... When you can find the least common denominator and you get at least a majority to agree, then what would be closer to, quote-unquote, the will of the people than something on which at least most would agree? You know, there will always be those few stragglers who just can't get with the flow. There's always a few people who have their distant, fringe, weird beliefs that are not in lockstep with the way most people think. And a democracy favors what most people would think. The rule of law is determined in a democracy by the majority. So why should fringe views matter anyway? If most people agree with something, the policy is likely to be sensible for the average human being, right? And now I just want to look at a few statements from an article, of course, talking about the election, the 2020 election for president... This article was from The Bulwark, and it is entitled, Where are the Defenders of Democracy? The dangers of disparaging and distrusting our democratic system. And so, the author of this article seems to be frustrated at the fact that, at least according to what he observed in the language of the Democrat Party Convention and the Republican Party Convention, their speeches differed in that the Democrat Party Convention naturally seemed to emphasize the word democracy, and the Republican Party Convention didn't seem to emphasize democracy so much, but seemed to emphasize their historic values uh, that would seem to be related to what would be termed a republic, naturally. So, according to the article, quote, On every day of their convention, Democrats professed allegiance and commitment to democracy. They urged voters to turn out and vote as if the survival of our political system were on the ballot. Former President Barack Obama warned his listeners that they needed to act to, quote, give our democracy new meaning, unquote unquote from the article. And so the author of this article, obviously favoring the Democrats, is urging the reader to worry that the 2020 election will turn the tide of whether we can maintain our semblance of democracy or whether our democracy is under threat by the Republican Party. And President Donald Trump in particular, if he were to get reelected. So, quote from the article Among Republicans, by contrast, the word democracy was barely uttered. They focused on other things during their convention last week. Unquote. And he mentions that Vice President Mike Pence, instead of emphasizing democracy as candidate Joe Biden did on the Democrat side, Mike Pence said, 
but so are things far more fundamental and foundational to our country. Our highest ideals of freedom, free markets, and the unalienable right to life and liberty, unquote from Mike Pence, unquote from the article. And the writer then says that this is sad because democracy has become a partisan issue. Well, here's the question. Democracy is a means to an end, right? But what is the end that democracy is supposed to promote? Is democracy supposed to be the means by which we secure things like the ideals of freedom and free markets or the unalienable right to life and liberty? According to Mike Pence, that seems like some good ideals. And if democracy is the means to that then sure, let's support democracy. But it seems that that's not what the writer of this article intended. Mr. Austin Sarat, basically, in the idea of this article, democracy itself is the virtue. It's not necessarily where democracy leads, but I would say that the writer of this article believes that democracy leads to certain ends, and he wants those ends, and he believes that if you don't emphasize democracy as a virtue in its own right, then democracy is under threat. And things like freedom, free markets, and the protection of the right to life and the protection of liberty are not themselves virtue because democracy can lead to something else. So we don't want to focus on certain unalienable things because unalienable... if you think about it, kind of goes against a pure democracy. But that is not to dismiss the ideas that we looked at to answer the question, why is democracy appealing? There are things about a democracy that certainly would seem to be better than an autocracy or the will of one person being imposed on the nation. A democracy, at least in theory, seems to be better than something as horrible as an autocracy. And now let's answer our last question in this episode. Is democracy biblical? First off, let's go to the book of Judges, chapter 21 and verse 25. And it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so this verse would seem to indicate that everyone doing what's right in his own eyes was a negative thing. Now, that isn't to say that someone could actually do what's right and that be right in his eyes, but every man doing that which was right in his own eyes was not a standard of right that, of course, Israel as a theocracy would get from God, that God set the laws, and we we see that the law could be divided in the first half being your devotion to the God who gave you the laws, worshiping God properly, 
And then the second half of the Decalogue, the the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses, would be the laws of how people are to treat other people. And those laws seem to be according to unalienable rights. You have the command, do not steal, do not kill, do not lie, do not commit adultery, and do not covet. And those would be the great equalizers, and they protect the rights of people from being infringed by other people. But in the sad statement of Judges 21-25, it says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that is the negative of the verse, or at least one of the negatives. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Now, is that supposed to be a negative? Like, Because everyone did that which was right in their own eyes, did they need a king to prevent that? Remember, this is the time of the judges, and if we remember in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Israelites complained to Samuel that they wanted a king to be like other nations. Now, the law that God gave did not say you must have a king. It did prophesy in Deuteronomy 17 that the people would want a king, and then God gave them rules. If you do set up a king, the king is not allowed to do this and that. But the people in 1 Samuel chapter 8 wanted a king to be like other nations, and Samuel was distressed about this. And he asked God about it, and God said, Sure, hearken to their voice and set them up a king. And he said that they rejected him, God, by wanting a king. And so when we look at Judges 21-25, this shows the depraved heart of the people. They did that which was right in their own eyes, not according to the laws of God that promote unalienable rights and protect people from aggressing against each other. And it seems that the reason they did this was also linked to the fact that they didn't have a king, but their solution was not, we don't need a king, let's get back to God's law. They wanted a king eventually to be like other nations. They rejected God's laws. And so Judges 21-25 is not saying to avoid anarchy, you must set up a king. No, it is a sad thing that the Israelites could not be satisfied unless they either did what was right in their own eyes or set up a king. But they didn't seem to want some kind of unchanging law from God that set up inalienable rights and said, you will not steal. You will not kill. You will not commit adultery. That's too hard. That's too set in stone. Literally, we want a human ruler that we can be proud of, and we want to trust in humanity, is what the Israelites were doing at this time. Accordingly, Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so let's apply that also to the question of a democracy. 
everyone could be voting for what seems right to them, even if they're not aware of or they ignore the fact that the end of that results in their death or their destruction. So it is not all about a way that seems right and that you get the power to make that happen or at least voice your vote. It's about what way is actually right. And as the founding fathers made clear that even in parts of the republic where the people would get a vote, they believe that the government would not last unless there was a virtue among the people. The people had to understand certain fundamental principles of morality and virtue and individual liberty and self-sufficiency and reliance before they should vote on things. Micah chapter 2 and verse 2 says, And they covet fields, and take them by violence, and houses, and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Now what does this verse have to do with democracy, Daniel? You did make the case that one of the appealing points of democracy was that a regime change would not happen by violence. Yes, but I'm not just talking about a regime change. I'm talking about the laws. Now, let's say that a democracy results in people enforcing a particular law. Now, that law would result in violence if it said this person must give up this house or this property to this community. And if that person didn't want to give it up because that person believed that he had the fundamental human right to property, that he cultivated and earned it and inherited it, A democracy could make it so that enough people could vote to take away someone's land and it would be taken away by violence as law enforcement enforced the law against that person. And so a pure democracy does not seem to fit with Micah 2.2 because this is a negative thing. This is a bad thing that people oppress each other to take away their property property by force. And if it's imposed in law, it would be taken by force. Just because something is passed as a law does not mean that it's just. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, as we mentioned the Ten Commandments before, according to God's law, thou shalt not kill thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass or donkey, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now, these laws set in stone by God were something that reflects absolute morality and that these things are not supposed to change because, remember, Genesis 9, 6 said, if man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed because in the image of God he created man. And so there are certain rules that are fundamental to humanity. But what about democracy? Democracy. 
In a pure democracy, everything is up in the air. As long as a majority votes on something, it could violate the rights and protections, the law of God that he gave to humanity, that they should not aggress against each other. They should not violate each other. They should not steal from one another. Neither should they even covet But we find very often in a democracy that people can vote on things if they're not informed and trained in virtue and truth. They can vote based on coveting things that other people have. And so, in a pure democracy, people can vote for laws that go against God's absolute laws. So, it does seem that in the absolute sense, the Bible does not support a system based primarily on the will of anyone, whether it's a king or a few or a minority or a majority. There are certain rules that God has ordained never to be up to the whims of anyone. If 51% or even 90% or even 100% of the people agree on a vote, that still doesn't make it right in God's eyes. Some things simply should never, ever be subject to a vote. These are individual rights to life, liberty, and property. These are things that would go against God's laws for people. These are things that would go against absolute truth. These are things that are basic to individual humanity. Some things should be completely excluded and out of the reach from any form of democracy. You should never be able to vote away the rights of any other people that God has established in his law. So while we see things that are appealing about a democracy versus other older forms of government, we should recognize that a pure democracy in its ideal is not really biblical in the absolute sense, because a democracy should never be able to vote away the laws of God. And now stay tuned to the next episode of Truth Espresso, where we talk about some of the problems of democracy. We're going to analyze some things that are some major downers about the idea of a democracy. This isn't to negate the positives that we have noticed, but there are plenty of caveats to a democracy even if we're not looking strictly at the law of God. So get ready to be challenged in the next episode. If you're a big fan of democracy and if you think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, I hope you join us in the next episode of True Espresso. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. 
If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 